0: Good Tuesday afternoon, guys. My name is, oh, Tuesday morning, excuse me. My name is Jerry Miller, and this is the Jerry and Jerry Show. Thank you kindly for joining us live in downtown Charlottesville, Virginia. We're about a a mile from Scott Stadium and the John Paul Jones Arena. Today is a busy week for UVA sports fans, and if it's a busy week for UVA sports fans, you can imagine how busy it would be for a Virginia Sports Hall of Famer and Jerry Hooty rackliffe the namesake of jerryrackliffe.com. I'm on his website every day, jerryrackliffe.com, to prepare for this show and to fill my uh, fix when it comes to the orange and blue and programs that I absolutely follow with vigor. Julia, Judah Wickower's our director. Judah, if we can go to the studio camera and then a two-shot, and let's welcome the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer. We got that weird cross-section of football and basketball at the same time. For sports junkies like me, it's a, a, a phenomenal fan. I know you're a sports junkie as well. But this is causing uh, quite, a, quite a few hours of work for you, my friend. And it's maybe some hours of missed <laughs> sleep. Yeah. Certainly some hours in front of your MacBook, which you have right in front of you. I think today was the first time since the Jerry and Jerry show has started that you brought your computer bag, which may be indicative of what your day looks like today.
1: Uh, Yeah, we'll go from here to a noon football press conference with Tony Elliott, followed by a press conference with Coach Mox, the women's basketball coach, followed by a press conference with the UVA field hockey team, followed by a press conference with uh, the track and field coach. They're hosting the national championships Saturday, and then we have a basketball game here tonight at 7 o'clock. So I'll get home tonight around uh, 11 or 12 o'clock probably.
0: Busy man, very busy man. JerryRackliff.com for anything UVA related. we got Corey Alexander and Tony Bennett we're going to talk about today. we got Reese Beekman um, sealing a victory with the defensive play. I mean, he's making a case right now for one of the best players in the conference, and we're only two games into the year. Buchanan is a a pleasant surprise. I mean, he looks absolutely fantastic. First, we talk football. Another nail-biter, another single digit loss this time to one of the better football teams in the country, Louisville mm-hmm. at Louisville. I know there's no such thing as moral victories, but pleasant surprises for this Virginia football team in a loss to Louisville. I think we got to start under center with Anthony Calandria.
1: I would agree, Jerry. I, I thought, uh, that he took a step forward in his maturation process, something that every young quarterback has to go through. And, uh, I just thought that he showed a, a level of maturity and decision-making that we haven't seen before, which speaks well to his development. Uh, he didn't panic like he has in some cases and, and made really bad decisions. He he uh, ate the ball a few times, threw the ball away a few times, slid on some of the runs instead of taking on tacklers, although he still took on a couple but i just i think maybe the game is now is starting to slow down a little bit for him and it'll be interesting to see what happens the next 2 weeks of the season whether tony musket's high ankle sprain has healed and he'll return or if they'll continue to go with calandria and if they do, I think it's going to be fun watching them the next two weeks.
0: UVA falls thirty-one to twenty-four. Louisville, a, a top fifteen, top ten football team, um, looking to play for an ACC championship. The Cardinals um, in the driver's seat to certainly do that. We'll we'll break down some of the statistics. And Anthony Calandria, the toast of Wahoo Nation right now. I got to ask the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer Jerry Hooty Ratcliffe here. Why not go, Calandria, the rest of the year? In the middle of the campaign, we were talking: is Anthony Calandria the one that's going to transfer? Now, folks on the Twitterverse are asking if it's Tony Muskett who could transfer with one year of eligibility remaining. A lot to unpack there, Hootie.
1: Yeah, we brought that up last week. That uh, you know, I, I don't. I don't think Calandria is going to leave. It, it, he seems to have a great relationship with everyone. He, his family. And he agreed to what Tony Elliott and the staff proposed and, and that he would remain back up until they needed him and they they have done that. They have needed him. He's no he lost he lost his red shirt uh a week ago, two weeks ago actually. So um I I don't think he's going anywhere. I, don't, I can't speak for Tony Muscat. He may love the place and, and his relationship with Calandria so much that he'll stay as well. But it's a possibility that he could move on if he's if they decide to go with Calandria for the rest of the season. And maybe they should because, you know, Muscat, uh, those high ankle sprains are tough. And I know he's a tough kid and, and plays with pain, but you don't want to see him uh, jeopardize his health. Calandria is playing lights out right now. And, you know, why not further his development and see what happens next year? Who knows? He may beat out Musket in training camp next year or in the spring for the job. I, I don't know that that will happen, but it's a distinct possibility. And so, you know, why not ride the hot arm and, and see what the kid can do?
0: I feel the same way. You
1: got two home games, and uh,
0: I feel the same way.
1: Yeah, so you know, let it play out.
0: Um, Calandria's numbers, guys, against Louisville. Um, yes, he had a he had an interception. He was twenty of thirty-one, three fourteen through the air. Tossed a touchdown, but what he did when the play broke down, what he did out of pocket, what he did uh, from a scrambler's mentality of moving the chains and showing moxie. There were various times during that loss to Louisville where he looked like he was clear-cut the best player on the field. 14 carries, 89 net rushing yards, 6.4 per tote. The out-of-pocket, the scrambling ability, throwing on the run, dynamic, Hootie.
1: Absolutely, and the announcers um, were really blown away by him Uh, they they remarked throughout the game how they were impressed with like you said his moxie which is something that Tony Elliott used to describe him before he actually even played a down for Virginia I think so the the kid uh he's exciting he's electric and he's got some talent and he has a, a, a great upside and and not only is he doing well scrambling with the ball, but on those designed quarterback draws right up the gut, uh, he recognizes those running lanes early on in the process and takes full advantage. And he's that's become another weapon because he's really adept at doing that. And sometimes I think they may run it a little too much, but I think... Um, when they do run it, he's, he's done an excellent job of diagnosing the defense and, and seeing where the open spaces are. Jill
0: Cavanaugh says, Hootie, I absolutely love you. She's watching the program right love now. Love
1: you too, Jill.
0: Um, Halibut Holmberg, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you for those kind words. Julie Smithers, hello and welcome to the broadcast. The viewers and listeners in seven states watching the program now, Chad Wood, Bob Yarborough, Albert Graves. Kyle Miller, Carol Thorpe, welcome to the broadcast. The Mayor watching the program now of Charlottesville. Ray Cadell, hello and welcome to the show. Lisa Costello. welcome to the broadcast. Tripp Stewart, Seth Liskey, Andy Argod, one of Albemarle High School's finest graduates and football players watching the show. Um, viewers and listeners, you can ask Jerry Radcliffe a question. Put him in the feed and let's get the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer answering your Q&As right here on the Jerry and Jerry show. Questions already coming in. This one for you, Hootie, and this one's from Pennsylvania. Calandria is the future of this football team. There's no shot that I think Musket plays again this season. Please ask Jerry Ratcliffe this question. And the follow-up for Jerry Ratcliffe would be, should this team be considering a ba- a backup if Musket does decide to transfer? Well, you know,
1: we'll find out this afternoon at uh, Tony Elliott's press conference about Musket's st- health and his status and what they may expect going forward. Uh, I I think Tony Elliott will probably lean toward musket if he's healthy, 100% healthy, Uh, but those high ankle sprains sometimes can linger for weeks. Uh, I would be surprised if he's 100% at this point, but you never know. He, he's, he's, like I said, he's a, a kid who plays with pain and and can handle that sort of thing. But if he's not 100% mobile, uh, then that can affect the team, too. So you have to take that under consideration. I think they should go with Calandria the rest of the season. and. Uh, what was the second part of the question?
0: Uh, does he? People are asking. Do you expect Musket to hit the
1: road, Jack? Oh, I, that's that's. I don't know. We we don't get to know these players well enough to know what they may be thinking. We haven't had an opportunity to even ask him that question. I'm not sure he'd give us a uh, an answer <laughs> about it because they they protect themselves in that manner. So. I don't know. I really don't know if he would consider leaving the program or just stay and fight for the starting job next year. It's um, You just don't know with these kids these days because the the transfer portal opens as soon as the conference championship games are over. He's got a lot of film
0: where he's played against much uh, steeper and more significant competition this year, film that he could leverage to potentially transfer. I'm not saying he is. I'm not saying he won't. He's certainly no spring chicken when it comes to college football playing years. Right. Uh, But he's got some pretty darn good film this year.
1: He's a Virginia kid, and and if he thinks that he may not start, he may want to go somewhere else. He he may want to go to a... Uh, a JMU or a, a somewhere like that, or or, or who knows where. Uh, there's a, people are always looking for people who are, are have proven that they can play the position at this level. So um, I don't want to make more of it than what there is, but I, it's a it's a possibility. I, I wouldn't say that that's what the odds are right now. You want to give the Dookies some love? How about game day in Harrisonburg? Yeah, I mean, it was, was that the second time they've been there, I think? They've never been to Charlottesville, although I think they probably should have at one point. But uh, that's that's big for Harrisonburg, big for the JMU program, ranked in the top 25 and undefeated. And, and uh, I, I, I still hope that the NCAA will be – I know what the rule says, but I, I still think that they should – waive that rule and allowed JMU to play in a bowl game this year. That's just a terrible injustice. And it, even, though, even if they weren't having the remarkable season that they're having, uh, they still deserve a chance to play in a bowl game. And I, uh, I, I hope the NCAA does the right thing here. I, I don't expect them to, but I, I hope that they do.
0: Um, you have Greg Redfern watching the program right now on Twitter.
1: 007 you got a 007? 007. That man has been in more countries than James Bond.
0: you got got uh, the old ball coach, Donald Mar- Marcella, yep. watching the program right now. Um, eight states on the Jerry and Jerry Show. Viewers and listeners, um, let us know your thoughts here on the show. Tony Elliott has an opportunity. In fact, he's got two opportunities to potentially win his first. This is, this is something that's a... Uh, it's difficult for me to say this. You got two chances, Tony Elliott, to win your first ACC home football game at the end of year two here in Charlottesville. Duke and Virginia Tech, the Dukies hootie, are a four-point favorite, kickoff three o'clock at Scott Stadium, and over under at 47 and a half. Duke is six and four overall and three and three in conference play. Um, this is going to be no easy task against a Duke football team.
1: This is a good Duke football team. Very good, under Mike Elko. In fact, uh, he's done such a good job there in two years. He came in at the same time as Tony Elliott, interviewed for the Virginia job. Uh, I think even maybe, I don't know if he was interviewed, had the first interview or the second with Elliott, uh, with uh, Virginia's athletic administration. But, He's done a remarkable job down at Duke. He's being mentioned for every opening in college football, uh, Michigan State, Texas A and M, where he came from as defensive coordinator. Uh, he says, "I don't know where that stuff comes from." Well, it comes from the those coaches' agents is where it comes right, from, right? Of course. <laughs> uh, so they can't uh, plead uh, innocent on that, but. Uh, He says he's happy at Duke. But anyway, he's done a really good job with them. They beat Clemson. They took Notre Dame to the wire. Um, They played well at Florida State for three quarters. They lost at Carolina Saturday night in a thrilling double overtime game. Um, It's a good football team. And they, they lost their starting quarterback two games ago, Riley Leonard, to a toe injury. Uh, the new kid, Grayson Loftus, is filled in admirably. But uh, this is a, a pretty complete Duke football team. They they play good defense. They they're a, a solid offensive football team. They have a good quarterbacking. They they have a good running game. They have a good throwing game. Uh, their one perhaps weakness is they're only one and three on the road, and that win came over UConn early in the season. So they could be susceptible to uh, a loss on the road. And, uh, you know, at some point, you know, if you if you look back at Virginia's season, Virginia has played better on the road than they have at home. Uh, most of their... Miami, Louisville.
0: UNC, Louisville. Yeah.
1: I mean, they had chances to win all three of those games against three of the best teams on the schedule and couldn't pull it off. Uh, they certainly played well, well enough to win. But at some point, you've got to say, look, th- this is our home turf. This is our home. This is this is our home field. We're, we're not going to lose here, no matter what. And that's what Virginia used to be famous for during the Welsh days, uh, some of the grow era, um, even a nice stretch in the Bronco era for two two or three years, they, they they won like 21 out of 23 or four home games during one stretch. Virginia has to get back to that. If they want to be able to compete in the ACC, you, you can't lose at home. And they have two opportunities uh, against teams that are playing really good football. Duke's playing good football. They stubbed their toe against um, Louisville didn't score a point. They were shut out 31 0 on the road. Um, so Virginia played better at Louisville than Duke did. Uh, the Hokies are playing well um, and maybe playing for bowl eligibility when they come here. I'm not sure. But uh, those are two opportunities, and it, it, Virginia needs to win at least one of those. Got to win, win one of them. Got to win one of them.
0: Yeah, got to win one of them. Something to build on going into next year. Rob Neal, who's a diehard JMU sports fan, says this will be the third time for college game day in Harrisonburg. Oh, okay. He also says, check out the basketball fellas. He's a diehard UVA fan too. He says, check out the basketball team in Harrisonburg as well. And huge JMU huge is,
1: win over Michigan State. Right.
0: Number 24 in the polls Yeah. for this JMU basketball team. Something mm-hmm. in the water in Harrisonburg right now is... Is, is birth and victories um, for the Dukies. And, and, and I could not be more excited for the area, more excited for JMU fans. Um, I, I see a lot of potential with what they're doing. Um, they're certainly building on athletics to build the JMU brand. Rob, we certainly appreciate you watching the program. Questions are coming in incredibly fast right now. This one has come in from Spencer specifically for you. Would, would Hootie say JMU is the best football team in the Commonwealth by far, and how would he rank the top five of college football in Virginia?
1: Wow. It's a I hell of a question, right there. I haven't really thought about it, but uh, I have seen on Twitter where a lot of the Liberty people feel like they're getting sold short. That I, I would like to see a bowl game between JMU and Liberty. I think that would be fun. That'd be super fun. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, then, What do you think,
0: Rob Neal, ranked the top five football teams in the Commonwealth?
1: Wow. I, I haven't seen JMU play but the one game against Virginia. I haven't seen Liberty play at all. Uh, it would be hard for me to to say which one of those two programs is better right now because uh, they play in different leagues. I, I think they only have maybe one common opponent, and that's Old Dominion, which Liberty, uh, I think, had a more impressive victory ever. But I, I, I don't know if I would be qualified to rank those two teams one over the other right now because I haven't seen enough of them, don't know enough about the two programs to to make a intelligent uh, analysis. But uh, right now you'd have to rank them 1A and 1B or, or whatever. Um, after that, I guess you would have to go with the Hokies and then uh, I guess Virginia and then Old Dominion would uh, maybe William & Mary some right in there somewhere, but uh, I haven't kept up with Richmond this year, so I don't know how they're doing, uh, but that, just off the top of my head, I think that's probably the way I would rank them at the moment.
0: Right, I think that's a pretty good ranking. Rob Neal says JMU 1, Liberty Flames 2, Virginia Tech 3, Who's 4, and the ODU Monarchs in the 5 slot. Um, Viewers and listeners are chiming in on this answer right here. Multiple people are saying JMU is clear-cut number one. Logan Wells-Claylo, welcome to the show. Vanessa Parkhill says my alma mater, Penn State, could have used some of Anthony Calandria's dynamic play over the weekend. He is super fun to watch. Penn State making some uh, mid-season coaching changes. Fire their
1: offensive coordinator. Fire
0: their offensive coordinator. Franklin making some moves over there um so Nitty lion fans clearly seeing a change is needed of some kind the show is on fire right now Hootie. uh jmu this question's come to you what have the dukes done to gain success on the gridiron that maybe the who's aren't doing from your your vantage point great question
1: yeah and again i i, I plead some ignorance because i i don't follow jmu that closely i, I don't i don't know the inner workings of their program and, and what Coach Signetti has done over there. Uh, they've recruited well, uh, but beyond that, I, and, and I obvious, obviously they're coaching well, uh, it, it's hard for me to comment on other programs that I'm not that familiar with uh, without going over and, and talking to people and, and getting some inside information. Uh, I can't tell you the difference of what they're doing at that Virginia may be or may not be doing. Uh, Virginia hasn't recruited well for for several years now. Uh, Most of Broncos, really good recruits, came from outside the state. JMU, I don't even know what JMU's roster looks like. I don't know how they're recruiting the state of Virginia. So uh, JMU fans would probably have a better idea about that than I would. that's something that Virginia has to change. They have to do. They're going to have to do not only a better job recruiting overall, but recruiting the state of Virginia better. Um, and again, I don't know what JMU does through the transfer portal either. I know that before they became a FBS program, they were getting a lot of really quality players transferring from FBS down to FCS. Uh, I don't know. Uh, exactly what the inner workings of that is over there now. But uh, Virginia has done a so-so job, I think, in the transfer portal. They've brought in some really good players like Malik Washington. And and then, um, you know, the whole transition between the Mendenhall era and the Elliott era, uh, Virginia lost a lot of talent. A lot of guys transferred out two years in a row. Uh, particularly on the offensive line. They lost uh, their two best defensive players from last year. They're starting at Iowa and Florida State. And if uh, I know that Nick Jackson was the Big Ten Player of the Week a few weeks ago. So they they lost uh, a multitude of talent. They, they uh, had a lot of decent players committed to the program, some four-stars, some dynamic offensive guys that – Decommitted and never showed up at, at the coaching change. And so uh, the, that has, has hurt this program, not only in terms of overall talent, but in depth. If you talk to Tony Elliott uh, in sincerity, and he won't use it as an excuse, but he will readily admit that this team doesn't have the depth that it needs to have to compete for. For the upper upper level of the a c c he'll flat out tell you that he said you know we'll, we'll get into the fourth quarters against teams uh and he i have noticed this particularly on def- opposing defensive lines they'll they'll uh they'll they'll take the first team guys out for a rest and the second team guys are are not far off of what the first team guys were and he doesn't have that luxury so I think that's where Virginia has to build is through recruiting, through the transfer portal, and and that's a challenge in itself for Virginia because of various limitations that we've discussed on the show for weeks now.
0: Bill McChesney, welcome to the program. Rob Neal says this is what he thinks JMU is doing well. Um, Coaching stability, the Dukes waited for the right time to move up. They have a fantastic culture around athletics, and the expectations are in check. James Watson, this man we've dubbed the King of Orbit. Remember Orbit before it was Boylan Heights? I do. He says Richmond is number one in the CAA right now. They should not be discounted. James Watson's a UVA graduate. He's watching the program. You have nine states on the show right now, Hootie Ratcliffe. The old ball coach, uh, Donald Marcella, um, Mm -hmm. he says, Hootie Ratcliffe, is Marcus Hagens in trouble at Penn State University? and multiple folks are asking about Anthony Poindexter as well. Uh, uh,
1: again, I don't know, because I don't follow Penn State that closely either. I see them, you know, uh, I-, I watched some of their game against uh, this past weekend. But um, I-, I really don't know. I'm-, I'm not an insider at Penn State. I don't read that much about their program. Um, I-, I would say... James Franklin is in a little bit of hot water because of his poor record against in big games. I think he's like six and fifteen or something, and against uh, Ohio State and Michigan combined. And if you have designs on winning the Big Ten and making the college football playoffs, which I'm sure that a fan base like Penn State every year is is very serious about this. at some point, that has to change, or, or, or you got to bring in somebody who you're confident can put your program at that level. And, and right now, he's not doing it. Uh, when you, when you, when you can't get it done against the teams that are in your way between potential national playing for a potential national championship or, or something, then. Uh, uh, that brings a lot of attention, a lot of heat to the program. It doesn't, matter how, it doesn't matter if you win nine games a year and you can't beat the teams in your way. And,
0: and this shows you the pressures of big-time football, ladies and gentlemen. Penn State is 12, number 12 in the rankings right now. Yeah. Number 12 in the rankings Penn State is. They are 8-2 and two on the season. They are third in the Big Ten. And they're firing coaches.
1: Yeah. Shows and you the
0: pressures of big time football. There's,
1: yeah, there's there's pressures on, on, on every coach on every staff if they're not you're right. up to expectation.
0: You're hundred percent right. You got a loss to Ohio State twenty to twelve, you got a loss to Michigan twenty-four to fifteen, Penn State closes with Rutgers and at Michigan State. They are twelve in the country, they're five and two in the Big Ten, eight and two overall, and they're firing their offensive coordinator. And
1: they can't score in big games. Right. And that's why he got fired. And and I, I can Uh, From my personal experience, I can remember going out to Arkansas, flying out to Arkansas for a Virginia um, Arkansas basketball game back in the Terry Holland era, and I landed at the Arkansas airport and uh, saw that they were having a big press conference the next day. uh, Ken Hatfield, who had just gone I think 11 and 1 and they were expecting him to resign and the next morning at breakfast there was uh in the hotel there was a lady in there who uh had a uh, big a red t-shirt on and on the back of it it said world's biggest hogs fan and uh that might have been literal as well as <laughs> so a large woman and I, I i couldn't help but uh the 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 Hatfield had actually uh, had that press conference that that uh, that was on a Friday afternoon that he was staying which was shocked everybody because they thought that he was stepping down after eleven and one because the people wanted to run him out of town he was winning nine ten eleven games a year the next morning with the paper came out with the news that he was staying, and, I, and I, I told, I asked the lady, I said, "Excuse me, ma'am, but could you please tell me why in the world you guys are unsatisfied with Ken Hatfield? He just went eleven and one." I said, "If if he were, I'm, I'm from Virginia. If a guy goes eleven and one in Virginia, they're going to build a statue. They name
0: the school you. after you."
1: Here, you guys are trying to run the guy out of town. She said, Two reasons." He talks that Jesus stuff on TV. Wow. And he can't beat Texas. There you go. And so clearly, (laughs) he used to use a lot of Bible verses, I think, in his TV show, uh, which may have irritated some people, but clearly did her. But the main thing was he couldn't beat Texas, and that wasn't good enough. So if James Franklin can't beat Michigan or Ohio State, he doesn't have to talk Jesus up. He needs to beat one of those teams.
0: Uh, Jerry hoody Ratcliffe, I'm going to speak for your, your fans here, the, the fans by the thousands. We love when you do impersonations on the Jerry and Jerry show.
1: Well, yeah. I've we love you. You do them from time <laughs> to time. Yeah,
0: uh, you do from time to time.
1: I've been in some really interesting situations. Th- this,
0: uh, the show is blowing up here. Uh, Jimbo Fisher. A $77 million buyout. They want your take on that. And the reason this is coming up from Thomas, Thomas is watching the Baltimore area. You talk about pressures. When Jim o. Fisher had his introductory press conference, they gave him a, bl- a blank plaque that was showing the national championship uh, trophies that he was going to win. He just got fired in College Station. Thomas is an Aggies fan. 77000000 million we're going to pay this guy to leave. Get your uh, co host thoughts on this, please, Jerry. Well, I,
1: thought, I thought A&M made a horrible mistake in not doing vetting him to the degree that they should have. Anyone in the ACC who closely followed Florida State knew that he had poisoned that program down there. And uh, yeah, Jimbo's a likable guy. He's got a great personality. I've, I've had a good relationship with him all these years, but uh, there was a lot of questions about uh, how he treated his players down there uh, in terms of taking care of their well-being some other things that we won't discuss here but uh, I I think if Texas A&M had properly vetted him that they would not have they might not have hired him period and they certainly wouldn't have given him a 10 year contract I, I think the only person in college athletics today, football or basketball, that I would give a 10-year contract to would be Tony Bennett because, you what know. About Saban? You know, well, maybe, yeah, Nick Saban. Although he's 73, I don't think he's going to coach till he's 83. But they should, it, he should be able to coach as long as he wants to uh, because he's not going to get you in any trouble. Tony Bennett is not going to cause any issues. He's... Uh, highest character guy you're ever going to run into but uh 10 years is an incredible gamble on on any on any coach because things can turn sour in a heartbeat and it might not be out of it might not the coach might not be in control of that situation but uh a&m has more money than god it seems like I, i was out there I don't know. Ten or fifteen years ago, for a national tennis championships, and somebody told me at that point, and they were building like crazy, and they said uh, some oil billionaire had given them money, uh, tons of money, uh, under the agreement that they build at least one building a year on campus until the you know to perpetuity. <laughs> uh, so they they have the money. I'm sure that. $70 million is, is huge for us, but for them, um, it, it's not going to wipe anybody out. Jimbo
0: got that 10-year contract a couple of years ago after the rumor mill had him linked to LSU. yeah. Texas A&M tried to keep him on lock for a long period of time, and now a huge payday for and, Coach and,
1: and There's no reason that you can't win at Texas A&M because you've got every facility that you would ever dream of you've got uh, incredible NIL system going out there uh, it's a coach's dream uh, except maybe for the expectations because if you don't win you're you're going to be gone in a heartbeat but um, the last two coaches there have, have only done so-so in terms of meeting expectations and you know they're they're in the SEC, and, and, and that's one reason why I say... Florida State, why, SEC. Why would Florida State right. and Clemson want to be in the SEC? Right. Texas A&M's got everything going for them.
0: And they're middle of the road, 6-4 and four and 4-3 four and three in conference play.
1: Yeah. So why, why would you want to jump into that, where here you're, you've got a good shot at making the college football playoffs... Every, every year, year. Every year. Yeah. And in the SEC... They'd be they middle of the road. You're just another football team.
0: Right, right. You got Georgia Bulldogs right now that are 10 and 0, 7 and 0 in conference play. Alabama's 9 and 1, 7 and 0 in conference play. The SEC has 6 teams ranked in the top 25.
1: Now Texas and LSU, uh, Texas and Oklahoma are coming to town next season.
0: There you go. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Texas and Oklahoma are coming to town next season. Well said, Hootie Radcliffe. Um All right, we'll get back to the ACC and Virginia football over here. We have to talk Malik Washington. I'm going to ask you a very pointed question here. Viewers and listeners, listen to this question. This is not hyperbole. Is this the best season for a UVA wide receiver in the history of the Virginia football program?
1: Well, it could be um, statistically. Uh, I tend to measure everything against what Herman Moore did. Uh, And you've had other guys, really good guys, like Billy McMullen, Mm -hmm. who had a great season, great career. Heath Miller, even though he was a tight end, he he still had incredible receiving numbers. Uh, you, You stack everything up against Herman Moore, who was in the top, I think, six in the Heisman Trophy Race and probably would have finished higher if he wasn't competing against Sean Moore, Devil's his advocate. teammate.
0: Devil's advocate with you. Uh, Herman Moore had an All-American quarterback. Malik Washington does not. Right. He has two quarterbacks this year, one of them a first year. If memory serves correct, um, Terry Kirby was taking a lot of pressure off uh, Herman Moore. Mm. Safeties had to respect Terry Kirby in the running game, yep. so they stacked the box. Great up.
1: offensive line.
0: Great o- Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Great offensive line. Malik Washington, here's what he's got going for him. You're the expert. I'll get out of your way. Two quarterbacks this year, one of them a first year offensive line that is has so shown so. some so so. Okay, thank you. Okay, that's being nice. <laughs> Hootie Rackham. Trying was? to
1: bail you out.
0: Thank you. He just bailed <laughs> me out. Nice. Uh, the tight end, a bit of an unknown. And only one other threat in fields that takes the attention off of Washington.
1: Yeah, and Malik Fields has, has done a uh, was really terrific out at Louisville in, in, in that respect because they've been trying to find a third receiver all season long to take some of the heat off, and uh, they have been able to do it. Um, yeah, Mal- Malik Washington is number two in the nation in uh, the three major receiving categories receiving yards, receiving yards per game, and receptions per game. Uh, He's five yards from tying the Virginia all-time single-season yards receiving record under all those circumstances that you pointed out. Um, I I mean, the the kid is is having a phenomenal year. Pro football focus who grades all college players every week uh, just came out for their season rankings He's number three in highest-graded wide receiver in the nation. Uh, he's essentially the only guy he's trailing is the neighbor's kid from LSU who has a Heisman Trophy candidate quarterback right. throwing to him and a good offensive line and a good running game. Uh, so what he's done under the circumstances is remarkable. And, and you also got to consider that He's one of the few playmakers in this offense that opposing defenses game plan around. Uh, they're terrified of letting him get behind their secondaries, and so they they play, they give him cushion, they keep him underneath, they they don't want him to get behind them. They try to keep him in front of them. Uh, he's only five foot eight, and. People know that he's going to get targeted 15 times a game. If, if I were Virginia these next two weeks, I would try to target him as a, either a running back like Debo Samuels or, or, or something, and, and I'd try to get double his touches the next two weeks because not only is he a really good receiver, but once he gets his hands on the ball, he's hard to, he's hard to bring down. He runs like a running back. He doesn't run like your typical wide receiver. So uh, I, I have just the utmost uh, respect for him. I, I, I usually don't get a lot out of spring games, but this past spring I, he caught my eye several times because of his speed and his, uh, just his intelligence. He, he knew how to get open. He, Like I said, he, he doesn't run like a wide receiver. He runs like a running back. I was blown away with him in the spring, and I knew he was going to be good this fall, but I didn't think he was going to be this good. Amen. I mean, he's he's having just an incredible career, and my hat's off to him.
0: Amen. Viewers and listeners are chiming in on Malik. James says this. We appreciate you, James Watson. Malik Washington is only five foot eight as well. He's a smart young man. He already graduated from Northwestern, and he's now working on his master's degree. Gives big-time props to Washington Hootie.
1: He was all Big Ten academic for th- at least three years in a row. He's I'm
0: literally sure. the gold standard of what UVA wants in the transfer portal.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and uh, there aren't but so many of those right. guys out there. exactly. And, and you're not the only person fighting for them either. So uh, he uh, he's just a, a credit to this football program. And uh, I, I don't know how they uh, – well, I know part of the reason he wanted to come here is he – he liked the Virginia academics. And, you know, not all these guys that are transferring are looking for that.
0: Um, Michael Waddell watching the program Waddell. on Twitter.
1: Yeah. Um. Uh, CEO of, uh, he used to be an AD, and uh, he was started his career at WINA. Yeah. Uh, he is now with David Glenn in North Carolina building a great uh, network down there to bring back, he brought back the David Glenn Show, which was, in my Opinion is the best sports talk radio show in the ACC.
0: I remember when I was doing sports talk radio uh, with ESPN, David Glenn would come on the show. One of my favorite things, and I'm a newspaper junkie. I loved holding the newspaper. I love reading the ACC Sports Journal and getting the newsprint on my fingers. I would pick it up at uh, the Fast Mart next to Dirty Nelly's. Yep. May or may not have been getting a case of beer, walking out with the ACC Sports <laughs> know, Journal <laughs> and reading David Glenn what he was writing. You also got watching the program right now, um, Andy Cole on your Twitter account. Show's blowing up right now. I promise you guys we're going to get to basketball. We want to cover a little bit more football here. Are we going to say with two games left that he has an opportunity to at least be in the breath of your Herman Moore conversation?
1: wow that's it's tough because
0: they're not winning that's why you're saying you're, it's tough for you right
1: yeah it is yeah. and uh and Herman was remarkable i mean, we knew how good he was here, and he showed us how good he was when he got to the n f l and and was did some things that only Jerry Rice was doing at that time so uh one of the greatest receivers in the history of of football uh I mean, Herman was a, a six-foot-five guy who could... Jump, high could do jump. everything. He he was a high-jump champion. He could right. high-jump over seven feet. Uh, watching him and Sean Moore, I mean, they led the nation in a pass-duo combination or whatever you want to call it. Um, they could throw the fade to him, and nobody could stop it. Uh, he'd go in the end zone and out leap everybody, and... Uh, he had great hands uh, not the he wasn't the fastest guy in the world he probably not as fast as Malik but uh, he could do some things that Malik can't do so it's hard for me to put anybody in the category with Herman Moore because I saw him do so many great things but uh, he's not far from it
0: uh, Vanessa Parkhill in Earlysville. James Franklin has a huge buyout as well the previous athletic director gave a contract extension just before her retirement. At that, at that time, many considered the move to be as questionable as the Dr. Haas extension granted by the Albemarle County School Board to their superintendent. That's a great local reference from Earliesville right there. Uh, Vanessa Parkhill says, I hope the new offensive coordinator will be what we need. And she says, Malik Washington, an A++. Plus, plus, plus addition to the UVA squad. Let's highlight some of Hootie's fans. Larry Redwing watching the program right now. Um, Edward Jenkins in Texas watching the program right now. you got 11 states on the show, viewers and listeners, hearing us talk football. Soon, we promise you guys basketball as well. If you have any comments or questions for the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, put them on any social channel you're watching. Our infrastructure aggregates those comments. I will relay them live on air. Let's go to Matthew, who's watching the program in Richmond right now. How can they clone what they did with Washington and the transfer portal to find success through this channel yet again, especially with a recruiting class that is lacking luster?
1: Well, it's hard to clone a guy like Washington. He's an exception. Um, I don't think they even knew what they were getting in him. He had, at Northwestern, he had, he didn't have, he, he did come close, but he didn't have a hundred yard receiving game in his career there. He's had, what, six or seven of those here already? Um, maybe eight, I'm not sure, but uh, I, I think he's had, uh, he's had phenomenal success and um, it, it's tough. The transfer portal is an animal in itself, a different animal. and. and I think Virginia is trying to figure out ways that it can be successful in luring players here, but as we've talked on this show ad nauseum, really, is that, one, the NIL, uh, unless Virginia starts to enhance that, uh, they're going to lose some players because of that to other schools who have more attractive NIL packages. And then, again, um, not all credits transfer to UVA from some of these schools. So there's an academic side to that as well. So uh, uh, you just don't know. I mean, some schools are much better at researching and attracting players from the portal than others, and Virginia has some work to do. And I, I think Tony Elliott would be the first to tell you that they need to do better. They've got they've had some success getting guys like Jelani Woods and uh, was it Oklahoma?
0: Jelani Woods, Jelani the big tight was, end.
1: Uh, Jelani was from a, a, I think a MAC school. Uh, I'm trying to remember which one, uh, but I think he came from the MAC and uh, probably should have been at a at a big time school. Was Oklahoma?
0: Oklahoma State. Sorry, it was Oklahoma State. That's right, State. Oklahoma State. Oklahoma yeah. State. You're right. Yeah, you're right,
1: yeah. I was thinking of the other tight end they had, came from a Mac school. Uh, now playing for the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, and, and doing a phenomenal job. And uh, why Oklahoma State didn't take more advantage of him than they did, I'll never know, because I'm not even sure Virginia used him as oh, much as they should have. 100%. Uh, one of the best tight ends that's ever graced the Scott Stadium field. Um and never used to his full potential, I don't think. So, uh, But it, it, it's been tough. You, you could probably, on, on at least two hands, maybe one, talk about quality. I mean, really quality players they've attracted from the portal.
0: Uh, Jerry Hooty Ratcliffe dropping dimes here. We've got to get keys to victory against Duke. Duke Blue Devils, guys, kickoff schedule for Saturday about a mile from where we're doing our show right now, our studio. The Devils, a four-point favorite. The over-under 47 and change, depending on where you shop. Scott Stadium, 3 o'clock kick, CW Network, keys to victory for the Hoos.
1: Well, Tony Elliott will tell you. Uh, he'll be the first to tell you. And, and Bronco said the same thing, and Mike London said the same thing, and Al Gross said the same thing. <laughs> the AC, most ACC football games most, come down to four or five plays. And Virginia has not made those four or five plays. So they have to find a way to eliminate mistakes. Uh, Having a punt blocked in your own end zone for a touchdown was the difference in the game. I'm not saying that cost them the game, but that's seven points. Otherwise, you win. They gave up two explosive plays at the most critical times in the game, uh, 52 yards and 73 yards, I think. You just can't do those kind of things in close games and expect to win. And they have to eliminate critical mistakes, explosive plays, play their game, and try to reduce the turnovers and, and just not shoot themselves in the foot. The, most of their problems are self-inflicted, and they tackled terribly against Georgia Tech. They they did a great job of tackling against a, a really good Louisville running attack until the fourth quarter, and then the, the, everything just fell apart. They they just cannot give up explosive plays to Duke and expect to win this football game.
0: Well said. Well said. Um, two chances left, ladies and gentlemen. For Tony Elliott to get his first home ACC football win, you got Duke and you got Virginia Tech. And I have a feeling both of them are going to be dogfights because Virginia Tech is treading in the right direction from a performance standpoint. Duke is a team that should not be discounted. This is not our, our, our grandfather's Duke football team here. This is a pretty darn good club. Uh, we'll transition to basketball. I got I don't know, three dozen tweets, comments, DMs, emails that I'm looking at right now asking who would win in a ha or some kind of showdown, Corey Alexander or Tony Bennett. I would not want to see an angry Tony Bennett any day. I, he's gotten one technical called against him. and In 15 in, years. In 15 years. One tech. Tony Bennett was as angry as I've ever seen him. And and from my standpoint, rightfully so, you are the most esteemed member on the Virginia beat. I have, I, I'll ask you this question and get out of your way. Have you ever seen a media member influence an outcome of a sporting event?
1: Not to my knowledge. Not that I was aware of. Um, there's sort of an unwritten rule, I think, that you don't interject yourself into a game. And there's still some controversy, dispute, whatever, as to whether Corey crossed the line in that game or not. Um, If the officials came to him and said, did we get the call right, he could have said yes or no. But people think that he uh, drew attention to himself and drew attention to the controversy by and I've seen various reports about flipping his monitor around and say, "Come look, see." And
0: talking loudly.
1: Yeah. Now, the, I don't. I don't think you. Should, I don't think it's a media member's. It's not in your job description to, to do that. I mean, if if the guy is asking for help, yeah, I can. I can see that happening. I remember an ACC tournament game of several years ago. I think it was in Greensboro. Um. Virginia Tech and I think maybe Wake Forest or Boston College—I can't remember who the opponent was—but Virginia Tech made a three-pointer at the buzzer to win the game, a tournament game. Um, there was some dis- controversy about whether the ball was released in time to count. The regular TV monitors couldn't detect that; they just—they're not advanced enough. So they had to go out. Uh, Use monitors from the TV truck, which, and maybe it's all progressed now, I don't know with the the evolution of technology, but at that time, uh, the TV monitors in the truck outside, big tractor trailers for those of you who don't see the production end of it, we see it when we go into the arenas, but uh, they had equipment monitors that could slow down video frame by frame by frame and after they went to that length they determined that the shot was not didn't leave his fingertips when the buzzer sounded it was down to a minute (laughs) uh moment and they went back in they overturned the decision virginia tech lost the game uh I can't remember if Seth Greenberg was coaching then or not. It might have been somebody else. But anyways, uh, if the officials need help and ask for help, that's one thing. <coughs> but I don't know that you, as a media member, you volunteer help because you're interjecting yourself into something that may influence the game. And, and that's it's an unwritten rule. It's a, a line you don't cross. I, and I. You know, if, if Corey made a mistake, I'm sure, uh, like he said, it's on me. He he said, it's on me. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know if he and Tony have made up. I know they texted after the game. I know that uh, Ron, the uh, associate head coach. Sanchez. Sanchez talked to Corey after the game. I, I haven't talked to Corey or Tony or Ron since then. Um so, again, I, I I respect Corey. I love Corey. I've known him since he was at Waynesboro High School. Um, you know, if he crossed the line, I, I imagine he will apologize to Tony, if he hasn't already. Uh, if, in his mind, he may feel like he didn't cross the line, I don't know. But uh, one thing you said about Tony Bennett, and we talked about this on the show back, I think, in... August. August was that... Is this the
0: table tennis, the ping-pong reference? Yeah. yeah. I know when, you. I know when,
1: you. <laughs> yes, you do. When Christian Bliss visited here officially, he just thought Tony Bennett was the nicest guy in the world until he went and went into Tony's house for dinner and with some of the other players and played him in a game of ping-pong. And he saw the eye of the tiger in Tony Bennett And he said, that told me right then and there that this is the guy I want to play for because he is a competitor, and he will take you to the edge of the moon to beat you. He won't do anything wrong or against the rules, but everything within his power, every fiber of his soul, he's going to put into beating you. I don't care if you're playing... uh, hopscotch or basketball or whatever, you are not gonna to beat Tony Bennett if he can if he can beat you. And we saw that part of Tony Bennett emerge in those moments. And uh and and we and he told me down in Charlotte at the ACC tip off a few weeks ago that he had lost it in practice the day before because his team was not practicing the way he wanted them to. And he wasn't going to take it anymore. And, and some of these guys who had never seen that Eye of the Tiger before caught his wrath that day. And he was a little embarrassed about it, but that's who Tony Bennett is. And if you think just because he's a nice Christian guy with pillars and all that stuff, that he doesn't want to beat your butt, then you're making a huge mistake. <laughs> and so he, he's going to take a moment like that very seriously because he felt like it was hurting his basketball team.
0: I respected everything I saw. One of the things that we need to discuss in regards to the Tony Bennett, Corey Alexander, haha, two things from my standpoint. If Corey Alexander's asked this question again, I would imagine his response is gonna be, I'm calling the game, I'm a broadcaster, I'm gonna stick to what I'm doing here. I'm not gonna give you my perspective whatsoever, whether the ball was off Florida or UVA or in any any other team. I think it's a lesson he may have learned here the hard way because he's certainly encountering the wrath and the ire of the fan
1: base. Yeah, so, and I don't think Corey should be suspended or fired. Or I don't think so either. I don't. I don't. I, don't, yeah. I wouldn't go to that measure. But yeah. uh, somebody probably should call him to the side and say to him just what you'd said just yeah. now.
0: And then second, second thing that I was thinking about, I'm surprised that the technology has not advanced where the referees have the same camera angles as the television broadcasters.
1: Yeah, I was surprised by that as well.
0: Especially the monitors are at courtside. This is not like it was monitors back in the truck like that we used to see back in the day. These were legitimately monitors at courtside. Third, if you really wanted to see the ire of the fan base, the call that Corey helped influence, if the team had lost UVA, that would have been orders of magnitude much more vigorous or angry from the fan base. Right. And then lastly, and then I'll get out of your way, props to Ryan Dunn, the second year, (laughs) who puts his arm around Coach Bennett and says, next play, next play, next play. And when I'm reading jerryrackliff.com, I'm on his website, jerryrackliff.com, multiple times a day. I see in your game coverage that that cooled Coach Bennett a bit. He said he still had to blow off some steam, but it was nice to see that the player was calming the coach in this
1: scenario. Yeah, that's usually the other way around, and uh, yeah, hats off to Ryan Dunn. I'm sure Tony was very thankful for that, for that moment, and uh, for one of his players to have such a cool head. But um, and and Ryan Dunn, I, I I would totally expect that from Ryan Dunn, for or, and and several of the other players too. But Ryan's the one that did it. Um. Yeah, I, and. Uh, it, yeah had had it gone the other way and and florida had won the game because of that uh i'm sure it would have blown up into a a much much larger deal than than what it is and, and it caught national attention i it, mean, called it national would, attention yeah there's no question about it yeah um so and another thing i would like i would not mind questioning too and i might follow up on this is I know in football that they have officials back and used to be Greensboro, I guess it's in Charlotte now, uh, in a room on game days or or for ACC games and with tons of monitors and equipment to where they can be involved in a decision like that. I don't know if they have the same setup in basketball or not. I'll have to ask. I I wouldn't see why they wouldn't. So I, I don't know why they would ask a media member that, when they could have easily gone back to ACC headquarters uh, via uh, the headset and found find out from that angle what the ruling should have been. Um, Virginia
0: basketball has got North Carolina A&T 7 o'clock tip ACC network esta noche. That's tonight for those that don't speak Spanish uva a 31 and a half point favorite over under at a buck 33 judah let's go to hootie on a one shot where do you want to begin with this contest
1: well a couple of rent of victims this <coughs> week um you got a and t coming in today you got texas southern coming in later in the week and um a and t's two they they have a, a player who is scoring a lot of points but uh they're uh, they're one of the newer members of the CAA, and uh, I, I don't expect it to be much of a basketball game, frankly. And uh, but those are some of the games you have to play this time of year: guarantee games, buy games, whatever you want to call them. Um, everybody does it. You just uh, hope that your team takes things seriously enough to avoid uh, a In shocking Appalachian upset. State. Yeah, because yeah. we we see we've seen some of those already this season. Um. I think St. John's maybe lost their opener to somebody just atrocious. Louisville. JMU. I think Louisville did. Uh, yeah, JMU is pretty good though. I, I, I don't. I don't think they're a rent-a-victim. A rent-a-victim. A lot of people don't want to play JMU. I'm sure. Uh, but the, the, but there are examples all over uh, the country and, and and that sort of thing. But Excuse me. I think Tony uh, will you use these games like he does every year in the early season and. Uh, run different combinations, different lineups out there. See who works well together. What works against a small lineup? What works against a larger lineup? Uh, who gets it defensively? Uh, ways to score? Um, all sorts of things that coaches are looking for in these games. That, and, and he he tries to mix it up and get different styles of teams to come here and play. So by the time they get to the, the ACC. And then later on in the postseason, they they will have seen a little bit of just about every style of basketball so that they won't be shocked when they run into it later on.
0: Uh, Reese Beekman and Blake Buchanan, upside talent. Um, Beekman is as good as advertised. And when do we start talking short lists, not only all conference, but maybe player of the year?
1: Maybe All-American. <laughs>
0: Maybe All-American. Uh, I don't me. think
1: Bruce Bigman has gotten the preseason due. No, he's been that, that he. He's uh, been disrespected. He has been disrespected. And, and like Jason Wilford sat here in this chair a few weeks ago and said, we love it when people underestimate us. And so I think...
0: Andy Katz has
1: disrespected him. Yes. The national media has disrespected him. I would
0: even say some of the ACC media... As disrespected Reese Beekman. I mean, we're talking a guy that is a defensive player of the year. We're talking a guy that's a senior. We're talking a guy that is the clear leader of this basketball team. We're talking a guy that... I mean, I don't want to put the cart before the horse because there's a ton of talent in this league. The big man from Duke is a a beast and clearly the front runner for player of the year. Armando uh, Baycott at UNC, he's got significant upside. Uh, But Beekman is one of the top three to five guys in the conference from what I've seen.
1: I I would agree. And because he's a complete player we hear Tony talk about that all the time and he can do it on both ends of the floor. I mean, he's defensive player of the year in the conference and he showed us why at the end of that Florida game, when he bottled up the Florida point guard on the sidelines at the most critical moment of the game and stole the ball and got fouled to ice the game. But, uh, What we're seeing out of Reese is a lot of what uh, Jason talked about on the show. 100%. Um, He came back from the NBA Combines and all that experience beaming with confidence, uh, much more aggressive offensively than he ever was before. He told me at their media day uh, a couple weeks ago that he's going to be hunting his shots more than ever, which is, is something he, we, a lot of Virginia fans wished he would have done earlier, but 100%. he's doing it now. And uh, he, he's hit some nice three-pointers so far. He's driving to the basket with uh, a passion, and he's the same old menace on defense, and he always has been.
0: Um, Blake Buchanan's upside is coincided or tied with maybe T.J. Minor not getting a ton of playing time. I want you to highlight Buchanan, who clearly looks like he is a double double waiting to happen anytime he steps on the floor, and maybe ink it or tie it with Miner, who a lot of us, me included, thought would be the post player that was going to garner most of the minutes for this season. Um, your thoughts on both fellas?
1: Yeah, well, I think, well, I know Tony Bennett saw something in Blake Buchanan. In their scrimmage with UConn, the defending national champions, uh, up when they went up to Hartford.
0: Jordan Miner, not TJ. Excuse me. TJ Miner actually played basketball for the Orange County uh, <laughs> High School Hornets under Tim Taylor.
1: I knew and, I'd heard that yeah, name somewhere. When, and I,
0: when I was working for Jerry Ratcliffe as a sports writer on the high school beat, he was the columnist and sports editor, best boss I ever had. I was routinely going to Orange County High School to cover Tim Taylor's basketball team. Yep. Jordan Miner. Excuse me. Thank you.
1: Uh, But, yeah, Tony saw some things in him in that UConn scrimmage that he really liked. Uh, Buchanan is 6'11". I I thought he was 6'10". Apparently he's grown an inch since he got here. (laughs) Must be nice. (laughs) But, uh, anyways, uh, there's a lot to like about this kid. I mean, he, he he can be a stretch four kind of guy, stretch five kind of guy. He's got a nice jump shot. He can score inside. He can. Uh, he, we saw some nasty two-hand dunks from him. He's uh, he can defend uh, multiple positions, or at least uh, front court multiple positions. He slides his feet really well. He's very mobile, and I think that's what caught Tony's eye more than anything. Is he's very very mobile. He can uh, get out on the perimeter and guard, or he can go out and shoot it. Uh, that's something that Minor. Can't do. He's no. kind of, uh, and what what surprised me most about Blake Buchanan is he's much more physical than I thought he, he would be, especially for a first year. Yeah, and uh, and and that's what it takes in ACC basketball because you're going up against some physical beasts uh, inside, and that's something that uh, again I didn't expect. He he's been much more physical than I thought he would be. You know, he hasn't faced some of the brutes that he's gonna face later on, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how he adapts to that. But in that case, Miner may get more playing time than he's getting now uh, because he's a big physical dude. And uh, he just doesn't, he's a step or two slower than, than Blake Buchanan.
0: you got, uh, here are the minutes. I'll throw the minutes to you, Hootie. Um, you got Jordan, Jordan Miner's getting 11 minutes He's averaging 11.7 minutes so far to Buchanan's 21.9. Beekman's averaging 30.6 minutes. Isaac McNeely, 32.1 minutes. Rhodey, basically 31 minutes. Do you see a clear-cut start in five that's emerged? Granted, we're only two games into the year. Uh, or is it still to be determined? I, I
1: think it's still to be determined, um, Because Buchanan, although he started the second half against Florida, he hasn't started yet, so we could see him move into the starting lineup depending on what kind of team they're going to be matched up against. A lot of this, Tony's decisions may be determined by who they're playing and what kind of lineup they're bringing in. Uh, If he doesn't feel like he needs to start Buchanan against a smaller team, he, he may... Stick with essentially a four-guard lineup, and um, so I, I don't think I don't think you can count on a set lineup yet. I, I think it's I think he's still experimenting, and I think maybe by the time they play some heavyweights later in this month or early next month, I think maybe we'll see it. But I think right now he's still still in his l- Laboratory, trying to figure it out. Very, very nice uh, use of laboratory,
0: laboratory right there from the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer. Time flies when you're having fun and you're sitting across from a friend. Eleven thirty. JerryRackliff.com, your source for anything UVA related. JerryRackliff.com. Final question for you. Anywhere you want to go on this Virginia basketball team? We got a a schedule shaken out um, where we still have some. uh, Rena victims, as Hootie Ratcliffe likes to call them. Um, What are your thoughts of of what you've seen so far with UVA hoops?
1: I I think they're kind of what I expected at this point. Uh, I think it's a team that's going to evolve and get better throughout the season. We won't see this team play its best basketball, I don't think, until late February, early March, or maybe even mid-March. But... Uh, I don't know that they'll win the ACC regular season like they did last year, but I think they're going to be in position for a deeper run in the NCAA tournament than, than we've seen in recent years, which hasn't been very deep at all. But I think uh, I think this team has a lot of potential because they have so many scorers and so much depth. I think it's Virginia fans are in for a fun ride.
0: I think so, too. Um, the Jerry and Jerry Show, guys – Tuesdays at ten fifteen a.m. right here on the I Love Seville Network. His website is jerryrackliff.com. I encourage every viewer and listener on this program to go to jerryrackliff.com and do it often. The website is the source for anything UVA sports related. He's got a schedule. Give him a snapshot of your schedule today.
1: All right. uh, don't worry about me. I'll be all right. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be working till midnight tonight at least. But uh, we'd like to mention that some of the Olympic sports have some huge things coming up this week. Please, the, uh, UVA women's uh, basketball hosts William and Mary Wednesday night, but they host number twenty-five Oklahoma on Sunday, two o'clock. Oklahoma's three and O, number twenty-five in the country. Men's soccer, number seven seed, NCAA Sunday, one p.m., hosting the winner of the FIU Mercer game. Field hockey upset Maryland, four to nothing. They're in the final four for the sixth time in program history and they will be facing number one North Carolina Friday at noon in Chapel Hill and Vince coach Vince uh, cross country teams hosting the national championships for the first time since 1987 I covered that uh, out of panorama farms on Saturday morning so lots of a uh, lot of stuff for Virginia fans to get involved in this week
0: I love it I think this was our best show it was a uh, great show. It was a great show. Uh, truly my joy, to, uh, my pleasure to sit across from the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer. Judah Cower, the director and producer of this fine and fair talk show. Tuesdays at 10, 15 a.m., guys. Mark it on your calendar. We thank you, the viewer and listener, for really shaping the discussion today. It's truly a pleasure to get commentary from, from the various states watching us on this broadcast. Um, thank you for joining mm-hmm. us. The I Love Seville show is up in approximately 56 minutes. With a lot to cover. So long, everybody. Poding, that was awesome. Absolutely awesome.